right. Well, uh, church, this morning we are going to take a step out of uh, Jonah uh, in order to spend some time talking and praying through Psalm 41. And so I'd invite you guys to turn to Psalm 41. Um, And let me say from the start, uh, I know we've got young kids in here, and I am totally used to noises and young kids being young kids. So no pressure on the parents here, all right? I am in the same boat you guys are, and it is all, it's good. So just uh, no, uh, feel free to walk around if you need to walk around with the kids. Uh, those that don't have kids, please be gracious with us, with young, those of us with young kids. So uh, now, uh, Let me say before we jump into Psalm 41, uh, this is going to be a bit different from a typical uh, sermon that we preach here, uh, because this week has been a bit different. And it became apparent very early on in the week that our people were going to need more hours of pastoral care uh, than needing necessarily pastoral preparation for a sermon. And so, and that's that's fine. There are going to be some weeks that are like that, and this was certainly one of them. Uh, but as I, as I prayed for our people, as, as I prayed with many of our people, as we uh, spent time uh, uh, with our people, the Lord really laid this psalm on my heart. And so I would like to read it together. I would like to walk through it together. And then um, what we'll do is we'll allow this, this psalm to lead us into a few times of prayer And so kind of the rhythm this morning will be we will read some, we will talk some, and then we will pray, okay? And then we will repeat that a few times. So uh, when we go into prayer, don't be confused as to this is me closing the sermon, as we usually uh, do. Um, So that that will be the rhythm. But, But one thing that the Lord has been teaching us this week, and one thing that I think we will see in this psalm, is that God uses both sickness and sadness to sanctify us. All right? God uses both sickness and sadness to sanctify us. And what I mean by sanctify is God setting us apart for His purposes, as well as God gradually maturing our faith as we turn from our sin and trust Him more and more. And what we have seen this week and what we will see in this psalm is that God uses both sickness and sadness to sanctify us. Another thing that we have seen this week and that we will see in this psalm is that God delights in helping the helpless. God delights in helping the helpless, and get this, he invites us to join the family business. Psalm 41 is a psalm written by King David, who we know that Jesus is to come from the line of David, right? And David, in many ways, is foreshadowing and pointing to the eternal king to come, Christ who was to come. And we will see that in this psalm. All these, there will be all these pointers to Christ, and hopefully the Spirit will help, help us uncover these in, these psalms, in this psalm as we see Christ shine through Psalm 41. What's also interesting about this psalm is that David writes this psalm likely while he is sick in bed. 
And unfortunately, many of you are there right now, or you have been there recently. But all of us, I think, can relate to what it feels like to be sick in bed, right? Some more than others and some more recently than others. And not only is David sick in bed, but he's also experiencing a sadness. He's lamenting here in this psalm as, he, as his enemies are plotting against him and as a close friend has betrayed him. And so King David is in this season of sickness and sadness, but he does what is always the right thing to do in a time of trouble. He turns to the Lord, he prays, He sings, and he worships God. And this is what he writes in in Psalm 41. And I'll I'll read the the psalm for us uh, right now. Psalm 41. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, When will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words, while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend whom I trusted, who I ate my bread, who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me. And raise me up that I may repay them. For this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout and triumph over me. But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would help us, Lord, that you would stir our hearts to a greater love for you and to a greater love for one another as we walk through your word here this morning. Spirit, I ask that your truth would be what goes forth, Lord. And so give give light to this passage of Scripture, Lord. Give light and clarity to my words. Spirit, we ask that you would intervene and that you would do a great work as the word goes forth. We ask for those who are listening, maybe in their, in their own homes and feeling a bit isolated and disconnected. Lord, would your, would your word unite our hearts and minds together this morning? Even as we are separated from many of those in the church family. Lord, would you please help? May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's look at this psalm, uh, psalm 41. You notice that King David, he starts out by saying, Blessed is the one, or happy is the one, who considers the poor. 
Happy is the one who considers the poor. Now, what it means to consider? To consider means to properly look at something or someone. It means to, to really like behold them and to attend to them and to really consider them, right? It's the opposite of, it's the opposite of neglecting someone. And yet it is, it is more than just simply glancing or acknowledging them, but instead to really consider them and their needs. Blessed is the one, or happy is the one, who considers the poor. But sadly, many of us, church, do not really consider the poor like God does. Not many of us delight in considering the poor like God does. No, in fact, life is much more comfortable for us to look the other way and ignore that the poor are even there. Back in college at Cedarville, I had many friends that took an urban ministry class, and part of this class was a, a project where they had to go live on the streets for a few days of, uh, of Dayton, I believe, downtown Dayton. And uh, so they had, to, they had to live as if they were homeless. They slept outside. They begged for food and money. And at the end of the experience, they had to share what they learned, and all of them agreed what the hardest and most painful thing about it was. For many of them, the most painful thing of that experience was people who would pass by them on the street and would not even look at them. And that was eye-opening to a bunch of middle-to-upper-class college kids who had never experienced something like that before. People would not even acknowledge their humanity and look at them. Now listen, I, I get it's uncomfortable to, to walk past someone who's begging for money because, yeah, sometimes the, a lot of times the answer is not just to throw cash at them, right? You have to use wisdom and the specific situation to discern what the right thing to do is. But what my classmates experience, it marks a bigger problem with many of us in the church, and that is not only will we not prayerfully consider the poor, but we won't even look at them. We won't even glance at them, let alone actually really consider them. And we don't want to even think about them or consider them or be aware of them because of the discomfort it causes us. Right? It is uncomfortable. It is awkward at times. And yet God's word says, blessed is the one who considers the poor. Happy is the one who considers the poor. And to give you guys a little insight as to what the, the pastors and some of the leaders here have been praying, is we've been praying, God, how can we as Franklin City Church really consider the poor? How can we do this? Like we don't just simply want to throw money at something so we feel like we can sleep better at night. But, but God, how are you leading us to really start to meet the, the short-term and the long-term needs of the poor around us? And this has been a prayer of ours this year. God, show us the next step for us. Send the right people to help lead the charge. Prepare our hearts to engage in some sort of mercy ministry here. And I believe that God is preparing us for that. Especially in a week like this past week. You see, the word poor here is not just referring to those who are financially poor. This word poor is not just talking about those whose bank account is low or non-existent. The word poor here is referring to the weak, the sick, 
and the helpless. And this would rightly include the orphan, the widow, the unborn, the refugee, the disabled. And so as I proceed through this time of Psalm 41, and as I use the term poor, think bigger than just financially poor. Certainly that's a part of it, but think bigger than that, all right? King David at this point was not financially poor at this moment in his life, but he was poor in health. And God's word says, blessed is the one who considers the poor. King David's going to Compare and contrast that here in a bit to those that are really not considerate of his poor health. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. Church, we will never care for and consider the poor well until we realize just how poor, weak, sick, and helpless we are apart from Christ. And so isn't God good to us to at times bring sickness and sadness into our lives to show us just how dependent we are upon Him? Right? Many times we don't consider the poor because we think of ourselves as being so independent and so deserving and entitled to all that we have. I mean, we worked hard to get here where we got. We did this, we did that, we were disciplined here, we did all these things, and then God lays us flat on our backs. Or maybe some of you on your stomachs, if you're laying flat on your back, roll over onto your stomach right now. And He reminds us in those times when He lays us flat that every breath is a gift from Him. We didn't even realize how dependent we were upon God until every breath is we notice. Physical illnesses, they remind us who gave us the power in the first place to get wealth and to work for it. It reminds us as to who gives the oxygen we need to get up and go and do these things that we do. And yes, there are plenty of scriptures that exhort us to work hard, to get up, to work. We should do these things. But even as we go and work hard, can we not be humbled enough to realize just how dependent we are upon God for every breath? Apart from God, we are poor and weak and helpless. And we will not consider the poor, the weak, and the helpless until we realize just how poor and weak and helpless we are apart from Christ. And if we will not consider the poor, then we miss out on the blessedness and the happiness that is promised to those who do consider the poor. And so I wonder this week if God could be up to something. I think he is up to something. I don't know what all he's up to, but I wonder, could God be up to something? Could he be helping us to see just how dependent upon him we are? Could he be helping us to see just how poor and weak and helpless apart from him we are? Could we be laying maybe in our bed and journaling as to how this feels to be so helpless so that we might be more merciful to those in the future as we move forward? Well, then we also see in here in Psalm 41 some promises that are given for those who have 
a heart like God's heart towards the poor. Look back at Psalm 41. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. Notice that days of trouble do come. God has not promised that we will not experience days of trouble. But the promise is that the Lord will deliver us from days of trouble. Verse 2, the Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. Verse 3, the Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you will restore him to full health. And this has been my prayer for most of this week. Oh Lord, please sustain us and please restore us. Now, let me, let me clarify, because we have to understand as we read promises in the Bible, especially in a lot of poetry and in wisdom literature, that while the promises aren't always immediately true, they will one day always ultimately be true. All right, so verse 3 says, you know, it's been a comfort to many that it is the Lord who sustains and it is the Lord who restores us. And that word restore is, is uh, I found this really interesting, is actually the same word we saw Jonah preach last week when he said 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That word overthrown or restored means to be turned around. And so this, this sick bed that David is laying, it's going to be turned around someday. It's going to be made. It's going to be completed. It's going to be healthy one day. But let's, but let's be honest and be real for a second. Christians for the last 2,000 years have been on their sick beds, and some have been restored to full health, and some have also died. In fact, all Christians for the last 2,000 years have eventually died. And unless the Lord returns, that will be what awaits us as well. And so while this verse might not always be immediately true, that God will restore us to full health, we know that this is ultimately true. We can, we can ask for him to restore us to full health here and now, right now, but we know and trust that ultimately one day this will be true. At the resurrection, we will be given new resurrected bodies and we will be gloriously and completely restored. Matthew uh, Henry, in one of his famous, you know, uh, famous commentator, what he wrote on this verse, he says, God has not promised that his people shall never be sick nor that they shall not lie languishing, nor that their sickness shall not be unto death. But he has promised to enable them to bear their affliction with patience and cheerfully to wait the issue. I love that. To bear their affliction with patience and cheerfully to wait the issue. Now, what is beautiful about this psalm is that we see that Jesus Christ is the ultimate one who considered the poor, the weak, and the helpless. And all the promises and blessings we see in Psalm 41 that come to those who consider the poor, we know that Jesus Christ 
is the true and ultimate one that considered the poor. And so as we through faith are united to him, all these blessings and promises come to us as well. And so we are going to pray. Uh, This will be one of our times we're going to pause to pray. And we're going to pray that God would sustain those who are dealing with sickness or sadness right now. We're going to pray that God would restore them to full health. We can can go to, to Him and ask Him for this restoration right here, right now. And then we are going to pray that God would help us be a people and a church who considers the poor the weak, and the helpless, okay? So if you're at home, if you've got kids around, gather up the kids, gather up people in your house, and spend a few minutes praying. Uh, For those of you in this room, we're going to spend just about three or four minutes uh, praying silently, and we're going to pray again for those that are sick right now, that God would sustain them, that God would restore them, and then we're going to pray that God would help us be a people that considers the poor, the weak, and the helpless. All right? So I know there will still be some noises. We don't expect it to be perfectly silent in here. You have to be able to learn to pray even while kids are around, okay? Um, So let's go to the Lord and let's pray. And in a few minutes, uh, we'll come back to Psalm 41.
Psalm 41, now to verse 4. It says, As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. Here David now cries out for God's mercy and God's grace, and he calls for healing, but not just physical healing. Uh, most of you, many of you probably have a little note in your, in your Bible, a little number, a little something there to show the, in the original language. This is saying that God, he's, a cry, he's crying out that God would heal his soul. Like, yes, Lord, heal my body, but may this time of sickness and sadness, would this be a time, this time where my mind and my body are aching and groaning, may this remind us that our souls need to be healed as well. And notice that he doesn't cry out for healing out of a sense of entitlement or self-righteousness, like, God, you owe me this. No, he cries out for grace. He cries out for mercy. I deserve much worse than this, but God, I cry out to you for grace and mercy. And he confesses that he has sinned against God. And so this morning, may we stop to prayerfully consider how physical sickness and sadness and weakness has unearthed some sin in our hearts that we maybe didn't even know was there. Maybe it has uncovered some pride or some anxiety or some selfishness or maybe a lack of patience in us as we wait for us or our loved ones to get better. And so we're going to go into another time, a little bit shorter time of prayer, just silent prayer, both at home and here in the building. And what I want us to do is I want us to ask the Lord to reveal to us sin that needs to be confessed. To reveal to us any past wounds that need to be healed. And then for us to receive and enjoy the forgiveness that God offers to us in Christ. So let's go to another time of prayer. Let's ask the Lord to uh, reveal to us sin that needs to be confessed, wounds that need to be healed, and then receive and enjoy the forgiveness that God offers to us in Christ. Let's pray.
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Psalm 41, verse 5. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me, and raise me up that I may repay them. You see, David had some really bad, unsympathetic friends. He had plenty of enemies. And we know from other scripture he had a son, and here we see even also a close friend who betray him. He had friends that would come to his, his bed while he's laying there sick, and they would maybe you know pay their respects outwardly to the king and then go and whisper behind his back that they're really hoping for the worst for him. And hopefully not many of you can relate to this exactly, but sadly, some of you maybe can. And maybe you have friends or family that have now taken this opportunity to, yes, send some well wishes along your way, but then they say to themselves and others, well, if those Christians wouldn't gather so much in a pandemic. We told them to be more careful, to not be around as many people. And really, David here, what he's doing is he's comparing and contrasting those who consider the poor, the weak, and the helpless and those bad family and friends who have betrayed him and are hoping for the worst to happen to him. And verse 9, he says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. This this close friend couldn't just leave and part ways with him. No, he had to uh, lift his heel against him. This is like a horse turning their, his back and then kicking behind and hitting David in the jaw. And some of you, you've, you've had close friends and family members kick you in the jaw. Like you couldn't just agree to disagree. You couldn't just agree to part and go your separate ways. Many, many pastors have experienced this as well. Like you can't just agree to kind of go your separate ways. The person has to turn and kick behind to lift their heel against you. And King David, he knows what this feels like. And maybe a greater comfort is to know that Jesus knows what this feels like as well. This is the verse he quotes when speaking of Judas and John thirteen eighteen, he says, I am not speaking of all of you. John thirteen eighteen, he says, I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me.
Jesus knows how this feels like, what this feels like. Now, we don't quite have enemies like King David had enemies. But I think we can all relate to having some unsympathetic friends and family who've turned on us or at the very least failed to show compassion to us in those times where we needed it the most. I also need to clarify verse 10, right? Which says, but you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. Let's clarify verse 10 before we leave here, okay? We should not directly apply King David's desire to repay his enemies to our life right here and right now. What we have to remember is that David is a king, and he is therefore the leader of a civil government. And God has put civil governments in place to punish and restrain evil and to reward the righteous. Now, some civil governments uh, abdicate that responsibility, but that's a God-given responsibility to civil governments. Civil governments have been given the power of the sword that individual Christians have not been given. And so for David, as king, to punish those who commit crimes or treason, that does not, that's not the same as us having the right and the desire to go get vengeance on our enemies, okay? However, even though our relationship with our enemies is not exactly like King David's relationship with his enemies, we do have an ultimate enemy. And our king has been raised up, and he will repay our enemy. Christ will carry out justice on our enemy. And so you do have an enemy, church. And it is that he is an enemy who comes to attack when we are in moments of sickness and sadness and weakness. For you remember what Paul writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians 6.12. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We do have an enemy. It's just not our neighbor who hasn't returned our rake. (laughs) It's not ultimately our family and friends who have not been as compassionate or sympathetic as we would have liked them to be. But we have an ultimate enemy that's working behind the scenes. And what we've seen this week is that he is an enemy that has come to people at their lowest points. And he's hurled an attack against them. And this is what he does when all of us are at our lowest points. This is his time to bring accusations against us. To cause us, to tempt us to to, to despair of life itself. He is the one who tells us to give up. He accuses us of neglecting our family and friends, of being a burden to the people around us. He tempts us to question the goodness of God who would allow this time of trouble to fall upon us. He tempts us to imagine a future where God isn't in control and therefore our anxiety starts to spiral out of control. 
Church, when you are in a time of trouble, you will be tempted to believe the lies of the enemy. Therefore, you must arm yourself with what you know to be true. In the midst of the battle, you might not be able to bring your whole systematic theology or library, but you need one verse. You need one attribute of God. You need one psalm, one truth that you can cling to and go to quickly over and over when you are tempted to start believing lies. For we do have an enemy who, like verse 7 says, imagines the worst for us. But get this, we also have a God who has planned the best for us. The enemy is not powerful enough to have certain plans for us. He can only imagine what could happen. He can only cause you to imagine and think worst case scenario. He's not powerful enough to have certain plans for you. He can only just imagine these things. But God is so powerful. He has plans and purposes for you. And his plans and purposes are sure. They cannot be hindered or halted. And it is in this sickness and sadness and in times of trouble that He is sanctifying us. That He is building up the muscles that we will need to be able to persevere through even greater trials than these. I mean, many of us, we need, we, we need to grow in our faith. We were talking about this before the service, Pastor Kevin has talked about this some, just one-on-one. -on -one, just we, we need to be able to learn how to persevere through trials. And oh, how good God is to give us some small trials to prepare us for bigger ones that might come. And so this will be kind of our last time of, of prayer Let's pray in this time of prayer, both here and at home. Let's pray that we would not believe the lies of the enemy, but that we would cling to what is true. Uh, maybe, a, maybe just a broader prayer is praying for protection for our people right now. Not only for their bodies, but their hearts and their minds for protection. Praying for those who are feeling discouraged and are tempted to despair and praying that we would learn how to persevere through trials well. Okay, so let's, let's pray for protection. Let's pray for perseverance. Let's do that right now in these next couple minutes.
Psalm 41, verse 11, as we, as we wrap up this psalm, says, By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Church, our God delights in you. He is a God who delights to help the poor, the weak, and the helpless, which is us. By this we know that He delights in us. Our enemy will not triumph over us. Satan, sin, and death will not triumph over us. In Christ, we will triumph over them. And why can I say that? I can say that because of what the psalm says. For it is God who upholds us. And it is God who has set us in His presence forever. And listen, this being upheld and this being set in the presence of God, this is not written in the future tense. This is written in present tense. This isn't like saying, hey, be faithful and someday God is going to hold you. Or hey, do this and someday God is going to set you in the presence of, of him. No, this is saying God is holding you right now. God has set you in his presence right now. We don't have to wait for sickness or sadness or our weakness or our helplessness to subside before we can enjoy the presence of God. No, in Christ, we have been set in the presence of God right now. And if God is with us, then who or what can really stand against us? Amen? Therefore, we respond in praise, as David does in verse 13. He says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Everlasting in the Hebrew means vanishing point. So from as far as I can see this way to as far as we can see that way, from beginning to end, He is the Alpha and Omega. Amen and amen. A double amen is an emphatic way to say certainly this is true. Not just this is true or surely, but this is saying, hey, certainly this is true. David is sick. David is saddened by his enemies and his betrayals, and yet he chooses to praise the Lord who upholds him and has set him in his presence. And this must be true of us as well. We must choose to praise him. We must choose to see the greatness of God who delighted to show his mercy and grace to us as he considered our helpless estate and he sent his own son to shed his blood for our soul. Jesus Christ is the true one who is blessed for considering the poor and all the blessings we receive come to us now because we are in Christ. And so may we praise the Lord this morning. The Lord who came and took on our trouble so that we might be delivered. Who protects us and keeps us. Who will bless us in the land as the meek inherit the earth. Who does not give us up to the will of the enemy, but who has saved us and set us apart according to the will of God. May we praise the Lord this morning. Who sustains us. Who will one day restore us and is right now healing our souls, 
who is interceding for us and who is our advocate with the Father right now, who has given the death blow to the enemy and allows us to triumph over the enemy in Him as well. Praise the Lord who upholds us and has set us in His presence. And so church, times of trouble will come, but God will deliver us from them. Our God delights to help the helpless. And he invites us into that family business as well. And so may we continue to praise him as we trust him to sustain us and restore us. May that be, continue to be our prayer this week. God, sustain us and restore us. For we know that God will uphold us. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father, you are so good that you considered, God, our helpless estate. Lord Jesus, like we sang about uh, just a few minutes ago, Jesus, you paid the biggest debt we had. Lord, we thank you that you sustain us, that you will one day restore us, that you are right now upholding us, and you have set us in your presence. May we enjoy that. In these times of trouble, Lord, may we choose to praise you. Even when we can't see exactly what you're doing or don't know exactly how you are working, Lord, may we trust you and may we learn to persevere through times of trouble and praise you all along the way. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing one final song together before we go. Thank you.